0: Today, we're continuing our study on Hebrews called Jesus, the mediator of a new and better covenant or a new and better Testament. Again, Testament and covenant is not talking about books of the Bible. It's talking about the blood of animals under the old covenant of law and the blood of Jesus under the new covenant or the new Testament of grace. And it really defines how we relate to God. Uh, We relate to God by grace through what Jesus has done for us at the cross rather than how the nation of Israel did under the old covenant of law based upon Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And we're on teaching number 10 today, which is part two of resting in the promised land of grace. Now, last week, we began our study on Hebrews 3, 7 through 13 about the Holy Spirit desiring to lead believers into the New Testament of grace, into the promised land of grace, The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lead people out of a law-based religious system where they're trying to work to be right with God and to lead people into a grace-based Savior, to Jesus, where we're right with God because of what Jesus has done for us. We looked at a lot of verses on the ministry of the Holy Spirit desiring to lead us from bondage to a religious system, to an old, old covenant of law, to the freedom of the new covenant of grace, where He he lives in us, where all of our sins have been counted against Christ, where God's not counting our sins against us, and we have eternal life, and we are righteous before God. Now, we started looking in Hebrews 3, 7 through 13. The verses prior to Hebrews 3, 7 through 13, it's easy to forget that, These verses start with Hebrews 3, verse 1. I'm just going to read through this so we'll get the feel of what's going on, starting in Hebrews 3, 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, that's this invitation to leave the law of Moses and go into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, to leave the Old Testament and go into the New Testament of grace, which starts at the cross. The New Testament starts at the cross of Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and our high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. And then verse three, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So we see in those verses the the comparison and the contrast between Moses, who managed the law, and Jesus, who established the new covenant of grace. And the writer's trying to bring the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, away from Moses and the law to Jesus and grace. That's what's going on in this chapter. And so we move into verse 7, which we looked at last week, which is, so as the Holy Spirit says, or therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, meaning in light of that Jesus is greater than Moses. In light of the truth that the law was managed by Moses, but Jesus established this new covenant of grace. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then last week we looked at, well, what did the Holy Spirit say? This is a quotation from Psalms. Today, if you hear his voice, so this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Today, if you hear his voice, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we defined the word today last week as the opportunity the Jewish people had to move away from the law of Moses and to the old covenant of law, away from the book of Leviticus, away from the book of Deuteronomy, because all those books point to Christ. I would say the difference in the new covenant, I mean, there's a lot of differences, but one of the differences between the New Testament and the Old Testament or the new covenant and the old covenant is the old covenant is pictures, whereas the new covenant is about a person. So if I have a family member that serves in the US military and my family member is overseas and I have pictures of my family member and I continually look at the pictures every day hoping that one day they'll be home. Well, let's say one day my family member does come home And rather than embracing my family member who's there in person in my house, I ignore the person and continue to concentrate on the pictures. That's the difference between what was going on with with the law and with grace with the nation of Israel, that Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers and Exodus, their pictures of the coming of Christ, of the person of Christ, of the work of Christ. And when the person of Jesus showed up, whom the law pointed to, rather than embracing the person and moving into this New Testament of grace, they wanted to continue to concentrate on the pictures. And so that's why this writer in, of Hebrews says today, today, you Jewish people and anybody You have the opportunity to move away from the book of Exodus. You have the opportunity to move away from the book of Leviticus. You have the opportunity to move away from the book of Deuteronomy. And you have the opportunity now to move into this New Testament of grace. It's time, he's saying, it's time to let go of the pictures and now hold on to the person of Jesus and what he's done for you at the cross. So today means the opportunity they had to move from a works-based way of relating to God under law to a faith-based and a grace-based way of relating to God under this New Testament of grace. So we looked at last week, today if you hear his voice, the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit, do not harden your hearts to this New Testament of grace, to this New Testament of of complete forgiveness and complete righteousness, where all your sins have been paid fully and forever by Jesus. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts to the New Testament of grace that the writer of Hebrews writes about in Hebrews, as you did in the rebellion. That was when the nation of Israel refused to go into the promised land of Canaan. They had been taken right up to the edge of the promised land of Canaan, And rather than going into the promised land of Canaan, they rebelled in unbelief. They refused to trust God and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So the comparisons being made between the generation of Jewish people in AD 65 who were taking right to the promised land of grace and refusing to go into the promised land of grace, rather they were going to wander in the wilderness of law. They wanted to go back into the slavery of Leviticus and the slavery of Deuteronomy into this works-oriented way of relating to God. And so there's the comparison that the writer is saying, don't be like that generation of Numbers 13 and 14 who were taken right to the promised land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey and abundant fruit. And you see all that's there yet become hard-hearted through unbelief and refused to go in rebelling against God, calling them to inviting them that God was inviting them to go into the promised land of Canaan, this invitation yet they refused to go in because of unbelief. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me. That's those who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years For your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. Verse 10 of Hebrews 3, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. So those who had an unbelieving heart were not able to enter into the rest the provision of the promised land of Canaan, the resting in what was provided for them in Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey and abundant fruit. So everything was there that they needed. They worked for none of it. It was all freely provided for them, but they didn't enter into this rest or where everything was freely provided for them. No, they didn't have to work for milk and honey. They didn't have to work, The land, it was already worked for them. All they had to do do was go in and enjoy somebody else's work. The land was producing for them milk and honey and abundant fruit. They would just go in and enjoy what was already there. So the writer's comparing this promised land of grace that Jesus has already done all the work. It's a land flowing with complete forgiveness and complete righteousness and eternal life. It's been freely provided for them in Jesus. He did all the work, and now all they're being called to do is answer the heavenly invitation of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, of entering into this new covenant of grace, this promised land of grace, and resting in the fact that they're completely forgiven because of the blood of Christ. They're completely righteous because of the blood of Christ. They have eternal life because of the blood of Christ. They're holy before God. They're perfect before God. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to write about throughout Hebrews. So he's calling them to rest by faith in Jesus and what he's fully and freely and forever provided for them, which is the main provision we see here is forgiveness in the book of Hebrews and the standing of a holy standing before God, completely pure and cleansed from all sin. All right, so let's continue to read through Hebrews chapter 3, and we come to verse 12. We looked at this in detail last week. See to it, brothers and sisters, that's my Jewish brothers and sisters. Some are believers, some aren't believers. So, he's writing to Hebrew people. It's kind of like when a pastor preaches a message on Sunday. In the audience are believers and unbelievers. He takes that into consideration as he's proclaiming his message or speaking on that particular Sunday. Well, the writer of Hebrews did the same thing. He knows he's writing to Jewish people and the audience of those who are going to receive his letter is going to be made up of believing Jewish people and unbelieving Jewish people. So in verse 12, he's specifically addressing the unbelievers within the Hebrew race. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart like those in Numbers 13 and 14 who refuse to go into the promised land of Canaan because of unbelief. Don't be like them and refuse to go into the promised land of grace because of unbelief. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, which is what the generation did in the book of Numbers, when they turned away from the invitation God was sending to them and asking them to come into the promised land of Canaan. They turned away from what God's will was for them to go into the promised land of Canaan, and they turned and they went back into the wilderness. They really wanted to go back into Egypt, into Egyptian slavery. So they were turning away from the living God in the same way of the generation of Hebrew people who were reading this letter of Hebrews when it was originally written. That's exactly what was going on there. They were turning away from the cross of Jesus. They were turning away from the blood of Jesus. They were turning away from the New Testament of grace, and they were turning back to the law of Moses. They were going back to the temple. They were going back to their synagogues. They were going back to sacrificing animals. They were going back to the different festivals that had to be followed, the different offerings that had to be made, the different Sabbaths that had to be adhered to, and that slavery. They were going back to the slavery of the law rather than resting in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart, an unbelief in Jesus and the New Testament of grace that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Today, again, is the opportunity to leave the law, and it's the original context, to leave behind the law of Moses and come to the grace of Jesus, to leave behind the Old Testament come into the New Testament, or this new way of relating to God. We looked at, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceit. So he's asking the believers to encourage the unbelievers to leave the law of Moses and to come into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are believers, he's saying, listen, believers, encourage your brothers who have a sinful, unbelieving heart that are turning away from the New Testament of grace and going back to the old covenant of law, encourage them to come into the New Testament of grace as long as it's called today or as long as the opportunity is still there for them to do so, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceit. Sin's deceit, we looked at, is the deceitfulness of the flesh, so to speak, that wants to work, that wants to earn something that wants to achieve something, that wants to contribute somehow to our own forgiveness, our own righteousness, our own standing with God. So we're deceived into thinking there's something I can do to make myself right with God. And if I do it, I'll be right with him. And if I fail to do it, I won't be right with him. We looked at last week. That's the sin that so easily entangles. We get entangled in a works-based system a works-based righteousness, a works-based acceptance with God, we can easily become entangled in the sin of seeking to achieve something with God so that we can be accepted by God. When, when Jesus did it all, when Jesus did it all, and we rest by faith in what he did, we're right with God because of what Jesus did. We're forgiven because of what Jesus did. We're in fellowship with God because Christ now lives in us. We're in right relationship with God because of the blood of Christ. Okay, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And that's where we left off last week, and we come to verse 14. It says, we have come to share in Christ, in all that God has done for us in Christ, in bringing about this new covenant of grace, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Now, that's a difficult verse there, but we've got to seek to interpret it based upon its context. And so the context of of Hebrews 3.14, the verses before it are referring to that Jesus is greater than Moses don't refuse to come into this New Testament of grace. Don't rebel to God and go back to the law of Moses. And then after it is the same plea. We'll, we'll look at that in just a moment. This, this plea of the writer of Hebrews to, to come into the promised land of grace. And so verse 14 is centered in a plea by the writer of Hebrews to leave the law and come into the new covenant of grace. On the other side, it's leave the law and come into the new covenant of grace and rest. And verse 14 is the center verse here where he says, we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. So the question is, what is the original conviction? what's this original conviction that they had that they were in danger of letting go of? And the original conviction, when we study Scripture in its historical context, the original conviction was that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Christ. It seems that some of these readers were considering, strongly considering, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ. I mean, that's what the Old Testament scriptures point to, this person of coming who is going to be the Savior King of Israel and of the world. The Jewish scriptures point to the coming of a Christ, the coming of a Messiah. And so some had this conviction that, yes, he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. But they were led right up, evidently, they were led right up to the promised land of grace. It's sort of like this. The comparison before this verse and after this verse is to the children of Israel who left Egypt, went right to the promised land of Canaan, and when they got to the promised land of Canaan, they refused to go in. And that's how we have to interpret this verse, because this verse is surrounded by that illustration and that comparison that the writer of Hebrews is using. So they had been led right up to the promised land of grace by this Hebrew writer, as he continues to write, and by others who probably told them about this new covenant of grace. They'd been led right up to it, which would require them to leave the law, to leave Leviticus, to leave deuteronomy to to leave all that the law was about and to now embrace the one to whom the law pointed to leave the pictures and come to the person faith come to the place where you trust you you go beyond believing jesus is the christ to believing what he did for you on the cross and that you're fully forgiven in Him, and you're fully righteous in Him. And as this message was presented evidently to this group of people, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they were convinced, right? They were convinced, we're leaving Egypt, and we're going to the promised land. We're convinced of that. So they go, to the edge of the Red Sea, they go through the Red Sea, they take, I believe it's an 11 day journey, possibly to the edge of the promised land of Canaan. But they wouldn't go in or they wouldn't hold to their original conviction. Their original conviction started in Egypt. God is calling us out of Egypt. God is delivering us from Egyptian bondage, Egyptian slavery. He's heard our cries. He's heard our prayers. They go all the way up to the edge of the promised land, and they will not go in. All right, that's the picture of what's going on in AD 65. They had a conviction that, yeah, I I think Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one. And then they're led right up to the edge of the promised land of grace, the full forgiveness of what Christ did for them on the cross, leaving behind the temple in Jerusalem, leaving behind the festivals and leaving behind the Sabbaths and the offerings that we read about in Exodus, and we read about in Leviticus, and coming fully to rest in the person of Jesus. And at that point, at the edge of the promised land of grace, they made a decision not to believe In the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And you see that like in the book of John, you see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see this debate going on among the Jewish people. This is he the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the one the Old Testament points to? Is he the one the Jewish scriptures point to? And there's some people who were right there. I mean, they were right there. I think, yeah, I think he is. And they're being led in, to answer the invitation to go into this New Testament of grace, and they became hardened by sin's deceit. Oh, no, we have to do something. We have to do something. Jesus isn't the Messiah. He isn't the Christ. We're we're not going to leave behind the law of Moses. We're going to consider Moses, going back to Hebrews 3, verse 1, and through, I think it's verse 6, we're going to continue to see Moses as greater than Jesus. And they wouldn't go into the promised land of grace, and they rejected Jesus as Christ, as Messiah. So that's verse 14. And then we go into verse 15. Start with 14. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. The end being, you're right up to the edge. You're, You're there. You're, come on, come on into the New Testament of grace. As has just been said, now he's going back and he's quoting from Psalm 95, 7, and 8, he's been quoting from 95, 7 through 11, and now he's breaking this verse down, he's in 95, 7, and 8, Psalm 95, 7, and 8. As has just been said, he's going back to the previous verses of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, so he's re-quoting Hebrews 3, 7, and he's re-quoting Psalm 95, 7, and 8. So he's trying to use these verses to tell the Hebrew people, don't harden your hearts to the New Testament of grace. Come on into the New Testament of grace. Leave behind the law. So he's reiterating this again, as has just been said, by who? Verse 15, by the Holy Spirit. Go back to verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, verse 15, as just has been said, by who? By the Holy Spirit. So the writer's making it real clear. I'm not the one trying to lead you out of law into grace. I'm not the one trying to lead you from Moses to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who's seeking to lead you. So today, if you hear his voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, do not harden your hearts to the New Testament of grace, As you did in the rebellion, don't rebel to the New Testament of grace. By faith, go into this promised land of grace. So he goes into verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? So this word here, H-E-A-R, here it's heard, is written about in verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, trying to get you out of law to grace, go from Judaism to Jesus into in the original historical context. Today, if you hear his voice, that's verse 15. So now here we are at verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? All right, so it's emphasizing this word here, H-E-A-R. They heard something, and what they heard about, they rebelled Two, and he's going to tell us what this is who were they who heard and rebelled were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt so what did those in Egypt hear about that they became originally convinced of but when they got to it they rebelled against it they heard about the promised land They heard about that God was going to deliver them from Egyptian slavery, and they were going to the promised land of Canaan. It's the same land that Abraham was told about in Genesis chapter 12. It's the land that God had reserved for the nation of Israel. And now Moses is the one that's going to deliver them from Egyptian slavery and deliver them to the promised land of Canaan. The people of Israel heard about this who were slaves in Egypt. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry with for 40 years? So all those Moses led out of Egypt heard about the promised land, but they refused to go in. They rebelled and they wandered in the desert and the wilderness for 40 years. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? So that was a convinced group of people. They were convinced. We're going to the promised land. We're going to the promised land, but they wouldn't go in, all right? Verse 17, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? Now, what was the sin of those who were led out of Egypt and taken to the very edge of the promised land of Canaan? The sin was unbelief. The sin was we refuse to go into the promised land of Canaan because we don't believe God. So refusal to believe the word of God. So they perished in the wilderness. And to whom did God swear? This is verse 18. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? If not to those who disobey. Disobedience in the book of Hebrews is the rejection of entering into, we'll go back to Numbers, the rejection of entering into the promised land of Canaan. It's unbelief. Disobedience in the book of Hebrews is unbelief in what God is saying to do. Okay. So God was calling the nation of Israel, who were led out of slavery, Egyptian slavery, all the way up to the promised land of Canaan to go into the promised land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey and abundant fruit. But they disobeyed God because they didn't believe God. They refused to believe God. So disobedience here is not sins of immorality, it's the sin of unbelief. It's the unpardonable sin that Jesus tells the Pharisees about. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. It's refusing to believe. So verse 16, who were they who heard and believed? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned because they would not go into the promised land of Canaan, unbelief? whose bodies perished in the wilderness. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed, disobedience being the refusal to believe God's call to enter into the promised land. Verse 10 of Hebrews 3. So we see that they were not able to enter into the promised land of Canaan because of their unbelief, their unbelief. Well, let's look in the Hebrews 4.1. Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands. There's a spiritual rest that's available for the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And the rest that still stands is the work of Jesus on the cross. The work of Jesus on the cross is available to all Jewish people and all Gentile people. And God is inviting Jewish people and Gentile people. It's the heavenly calling of Hebrews chapter three, verse one. It's this calling, this invitation to come into the promised land of grace, to come into the new Testament of grace, to, to by faith, believe that Jesus died for all your sins, To by faith believe that Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. To believe that the blood of Jesus purifies from all sin. To rest in what Jesus did for us on the cross so that we stop working for forgiveness. God, please forgive me. I worked for forgiveness for several years as a believer. Thankfully, it wasn't many years. It was just probably four or five years where I was taught to practice something called spiritual breathing, where you exhale your sins and you inhale God's forgiveness, not literally inhaling and exhaling, but a, a spiritual illustration where if you want to be in fellowship with God and maintain forgiveness, that you exhale your sins confession and you inhale God's forgiveness And that was a work. That was something I worked at every day to stay in fellowship with God and to stay right with God by having daily quiet times. I felt if I had a daily quiet time, I would be right with God. But the moment I missed a daily quiet time, I felt that I wasn't right with God and God was disappointed with me by not having a daily quiet time. Now, I wasn't in the book of Leviticus there and I wasn't in the book of Deuteronomy, but I was operating out of a religious so to speak, manual that was given to me by those in a ministry that I was a part of. This is how you stay right with God. This is how you stay forgiven. This is how you stay in fellowship with God. And I wasn't resting. I was working every single day to stay forgiven, to stay in fellowship, and to stay right with God. And I knew I was eternally secure in Christ. So my salvation was never a question. It was always my day-to-day experiencing a relationship with God. And that was up to me. Jesus secured my eternal salvation. I was 100% resting in that. But my day-to-day relationship with God, Jesus had absolutely nothing to do with based upon what I'd been taught. I had to maintain the daily relationship. Jesus took care of the eternal salvation. I had to maintain the daily forgiveness, the daily being right with God. And in the daily being close to God. It was up to me to keep all my sins forgiven and have the quiet times and practice the discipline. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there or you're there now. And it's bondage. It's slavery. It's spiritual slavery. And thankfully, when this invitation came to come into the New Testament of grace, the Holy Spirit showed me and just allowed me to see it in Scripture. And Learn from some others who had left the slavery of legalism and gone into the love of the New Testament of grace and the freedom of the New Testament of grace. And I was able to go over there and, and now I enjoy my relationship with God. I can't even describe the words and the difference it is between the two and some of y'all have the exact same testimony. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands. God's made a promise. And God's promise is this. I have provided everything for you in Christ. I have provided complete forgiveness. I have provided complete righteousness. I have provided a holy standing before me. I have provided complete purification and cleansing from sins. And it's all eternal. God says, I, I, I promise I have provided for you eternal forgiveness, eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal cleansing from sin, eternal purification from sins in this eternal new covenant of grace. The old covenant was temporal. It was removed by the new Testament of grace. Everything is free and everything is full and everything is forever and everything's provided for us. And we simply believe it to be true. And we walk into this promised land of grace. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. So, in the original historical writing of Hebrews, how would the reader of Hebrews, in its original writing, being read by the original reader, how would they have been found to have fallen short of entering into the New Testament of grace? And the only way a person would fail to go into this New Testament of grace is unbelief. And so, if these Hebrew people were falling short of going into the New Testament of grace, they were falling short because they refused to believe that the blood of Jesus provided purification for all sins. And they were believing they needed to go back into the law of Moses, and they needed to follow the the offerings of Leviticus, the Sabbaths of Leviticus, all the requirements and rituals and rules found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus, and they were, they were going back into the law, and they were falling short of going into the New Testament because of unbelief. Just like the, the people back in Numbers 13 and 14, why did they fall short of going into the promised land of Canaan? Well, they fell short of going into the promised land of Canaan because of unbelief. They didn't trust. That mean, they got right to the edge of the promised land of Canaan. They had all the evidence there before them of milk and honey and abundant fruit. They had people who testified to them about what the promised land of Canaan contained. I mean, they were right there. But they fell short, and in the context, we know why they fell short of going in, because they were deceived by sin. They were deceived by unbelief, a lack of trust, and then as a result, they wandered in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years. Now, look at the comparison in verse 2, the writer of Hebrews makes to this generation that's reading the letter, compared to the generation of Numbers 13 and 14, he refused to go into the promised land of Canaan. Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Verse 2, Hebrews 4. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us. Now, the question is, what's the good news? What's the good news that the reader of Hebrews and the Jewish people had proclaimed to them? The good news is you don't have to sacrifice any more animals. The good news is you don't have to follow all the rules and the rituals and the requirements of the book of Leviticus. Maybe take some time this week and read through Leviticus. Start with about Exodus chapter 19. Read through Exodus, through Leviticus, into Numbers, and into Deuteronomy, But they had had the good news that the Messiah had come, the Christ had come, and the New Testament had been established that Jeremiah spoke about in Jeremiah 31 through 34, that the Holy Spirit spoke about in Jeremiah 31 through 34. Jeremiah wrote down the words of the Holy Spirit when he talked about the coming of a New Testament, the coming of a new covenant, which the writer of Hebrews writes about in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, this new covenant that was coming, had now been established in the blood of Christ. That's the good news here. It's the good news that the old covenant has come to an end, and the new covenant has began in the person of Christ. And in this new covenant, God remembers sins no more. There is no more sacrifice for sins. Telling the Jewish people, you don't have to keep sacrificing animals. You don't have to do what Leviticus says and what Deuteronomy says. That has come to an end. The good news is Jesus with his one sacrifice for all people, for all time, for all sins has brought complete eternal forgiveness and righteousness and purification from sins. That's the promised land of grace. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. The good news that that was proclaimed to them was here's the promised land of Canaan. Trust God and go in. The good news here in in AD 65 for the reader of Hebrews is, here's the promised land of grace. Trust Jesus and go in. But they were in danger of falling short of the promised land of grace, the New Testament of grace, because they were on the verge of unbelief. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. All right. Let's break this down. What was the message that the people of Israel heard when they got to the edge of the promised land of Canaan? Here's the message they heard. This land is flowing with milk and honey and abundant fruit. Everything that you need is in this land, and somebody else has done all the work. All you have to do is trust God and enter in. But rather than trusting God and entering into the promised land of Canaan, they rebelled. So that the message they heard about the promised land of Canaan was of no value to them. The fruit was of no value to them. The milk was of no value to them. The honey was of no value to them. They didn't get to experience what the promised land of Canaan was offering them because of unbelief. And so, the writer of Hebrews is saying that here's the new covenant of grace. Here's the new Testament of grace. Here's the full forgiveness of sins in Christ. here's complete purification for sins in Christ. You are completely holy. The blood of Christ has provided for you complete holiness before God, complete righteousness before God, complete forgiveness before God. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, The death of Jesus is no value to you. The blood of Jesus is no value to you. This offering of forgiveness is of no value. This offering of righteousness is no value. This offering of complete purification from sins is no value to you, to the original reader, and to anyone who's an unbeliever, if you don't place your faith in him. It's of no value to you. What could become the most valuable part of your life Resting in the New Testament of grace and what Christ has done for you has no value if you don't place your faith in what Jesus has done for you. Verse 2 of Hebrews 4. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to, to them. They heard the message of the promised land of Canaan. The people who are reading Hebrews originally were hearing the message of the promised land of grace, we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who believed. Now, who were those who believed? It was Joshua and Caleb. Twelve spies go into a land. Twelve spies come back. They all have the same testimony, but they don't all have the same faith. They all came back and said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey and there is abundant fruit. But then 10 of the spies says, we can't go in because the giants are too big. But the two said, we can go in because we're going to have faith in God. Why don't some believers, that they're saved, but they won't go into the promised land of grace. They won't rest in the full forgiveness of, of their sins. They won't rest in complete righteousness. They won't go fully into this New Testament provision that God's given us in Christ of complete forgiveness. I really think one of the reasons they won't go in is because they're afraid of the giants and the giant would be the pastor. They're, they're afraid of those who, who, who are going to persecute them and pressure them and to attack them for their belief in the New Testament of grace. Yet they're saved. They really want to go into the New Testament of grace They want to stop asking for forgiveness every day. They want to stop trying to be right every day. They want to stop adhering to the spiritual disciplines every day. But they're so afraid of their religious leaders, and they crave the acceptance so much of their religious leaders, their denominational leaders, their ministry leaders, their church leaders, their small group leaders. Because of fear, they won't go in to this promised land of grace fully. It takes faith to move into the promised land of grace, because when we trust in what Jesus has done fully, what it means is, you know what? I'm walking away from a lot of what my pastor teaches. I'm walking away from what's in the Sunday school curriculum at church. I'm walking away from what's in the disciple manual in the ministry that I'm a part of. And I'm not going to teach those things anymore. I'm not going to follow those things anymore. I'm, I'm going to move in fully into this promised land of grace, and I'm going to trust God with the results of it. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. That's why it requires faith to move into the promised land of grace in our generation. It requires faith as well. All right. Verse two, Hebrews chapter four, for we have also had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. That was the 10 spies and all of those they influenced did not have faith. So they didn't go into the promised land of Canaan, whereas two spies and their family lines were able, after the 40 years, to go into the promised land of Canaan because of the faith of Joshua and Caleb. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. That would be Joshua and Caleb. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. That's good news. So what does it take? What does it take to enter into everything God has provided for us in Christ? Remember, the book of Hebrews is about Jesus resting. The priests could never rest. The the writer of Hebrews teaches on this later in Hebrews. They could never sit down. They could never rest. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. They could never rest. There was always another sin that needed to be sacrificed for. There was always another sin that needed to be forgiven. There was always something else within the book of Leviticus to do, within the book of Deuteronomy to do. They could never rest. There was always another ritual to perform. There was always another regulation to adhere to. The people could never rest. In order to be right with God and be forgiven by God, they could never rest, They were always having to fulfill what the book of Leviticus said to do. And all they had to do was believe that Jesus did it all, and there was nothing left for them to do. And they could simply rest in the fact that they were forgiven, rest in the fact that they were righteous, rest in the fact that the blood of Jesus purified and cleansed from all sin simply by believing. And the same is true for us today because it says the promise of entering his rest still stands. And how do we enter into this rest that people are being invited to it's here. It's available. This holy calling, this holy invitation to come into the spiritual rest of grace because of the blood of Christ is here. It still stands And then in verse 3, now we who believed have entered that rest. That's the good news. Belief in Jesus is better than most believers understand what belief in Jesus is. Most believers do believe that Jesus has secured their eternal destiny. Most believers believe that. But most believers don't believe Jesus has secured for them day-to-day fellowship with God day-to-day being right with God, day-to-day knowing they're accepted by God and they're in a love relationship with God, where he's not looking down upon them in disapproval because they missed their spiritual discipline, their quiet time, failed to confess the sin. Most believers aren't resting even though they're believers because they've never been taught the fullness of the gospel. They've been taught Jesus died so that you can be saved, but they don't understand What's, what's the content of this word salvation? Paul explains it in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We've been completely forgiven, and we've been made holy, and we're blameless, and we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and Christ indwells us. There's so much there in the content of the gospel that most believers aren't resting in because they're still working for forgiveness. They're working for fellowship. They're working for righteousness. They're working to be holy. They feel guilty when they miss a quiet time or when they didn't read their Bible. And they're working when God says, I want you to rest in what Jesus has done for you. So verse three, now we who have believed, we've entered the rest, meaning we're, we're not working anymore to be in right relationship with God, to be in fellowship with God. We're enjoying fellowship with God. We're enjoying the fact that we're forgiven. We're enjoying the fact that we're holy before God and righteous before God because of the blood of Christ. We're enjoying that we're indwelt by Christ. We're enjoying that we call God Abba Father, the God who loves us completely and fully. Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And what he's doing here in verse three is he's given the conditions of two types of people. There are those who believed, and they've entered the rest. And then there are those who haven't believed. And they won't enter the rest unless they do believe, All right? And they do come to faith. Now, in, in our time today, believers have entered that rest but they're not resting because they've never been taught that they've even entered a rest. And so that's, that's our role here as, as teachers of a new covenant, as teachers of a new Testament is, is is my heart is to help believers who literally have entered into the rest of the new Testament of grace, but they don't have any idea what the new Testament of grace is or what it means to rest in the new Testament of grace. They still see the new Testament as books. They see the Old Testament as books, whereas my goal, and yours as well, many of you who are listening to this or watching by video, is you want to help people truly understand what the New Testament of grace is, what the New Covenant of grace is. It's not about books. It's about blood. It's the blood of Christ that secures our eternal forgiveness and our day-to-day fellowship. It's the blood of Christ that secures our righteous standing before God for all eternity and ensures that we're right with God every single day that we're on this earth. It's all that God has done for us in Christ. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the Donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org, Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.